hospitality. The word evokes images of dinner parties and out-of-town guests in our homes. Guests to whom we have a duty to provide witty conversation and comfy linens, intriguing games, decorative soaps, and amusing appetizers. In Western culture, this is often where hospitality ends for many hosts, simply being nice and generous to guests and visitors. And this is easy for many people. After all, isn't it fun and friendly to be with people we know and like? But like Bob Dylan says, I don't want to talk about none of that today. I want to talk about another form of hospitality, one that many, including me, find very difficult to live out. Because for me, hospitality can be so much more than simply being nice and generous to those we like. It can be something that reaches out to others. I remember learning about that kind of hospitality in Louisville, near where I grew up, on a road popular for restaurants. I was waiting for a friend to join me for dinner when a man started approaching from down the street. He was dirty, dressed in rags of clothing, and he fit my picture of a homeless person. I had no idea what to do as alarm bells of prejudice and preconceptions started going off in my mind. And I simply stood, waiting for my friend to arrive and for the man to go away and hoping the man wouldn't ask me for money and dare to make me uncomfortable. He stopped near me and looked me straight in the eye. Got a cigarette, he asked. Now that was an easy question for him to answer. I've been a lifelong non-smoker, so I replied truthfully that I didn't. That's good, he said. Don't ever start. <laughs> I was so surprised at his response that I soon found myself telling him all about how my mother would have killed me well into my adult life if she found out I ever started smoking. He roared with laughter. And for the next 20 minutes, we talked about everything from politics and religion to where he came from and why he was homeless. We talked, in fact, until my friend finally arrived. And at the end, I was sorry to say goodbye. Preconceptions and fears are a funny thing. Sometimes they help to keep you safe. And other times they keep you from meeting someone amazing. 
What strikes me about that day is my complete and utter failure to be hospitable to the stranger amidst my life. I was so scared of the potential for an awkward encounter that I was unable to recognize our common humanity when he first approached me. I saw instead only someone who probably wanted something out of me. No, the person who showed hospitality that morning was the homeless man. Hospitality is being nice, being generous, including to the stranger. And I was the stranger in his world. He was a bold guy, seeing no division between he and I, and he formed a rapport with me like he'd known me his whole life. Who I was didn't matter to him as much as forming a relationship in that moment. And that we did. When I look back, I realize how scared I was of not being able to handle the situation. I was scared of being forced to be mean an unknown person in an unasked-for encounter. It felt uncomfortable to consider being inhospitable, and yet I was still not the one to reach out to the others. I wonder how many of you have shared this encounter, this awkward feeling encountering people you don't know who are, or who are different from you. Fear of not saying the right thing or fear of being taken advantage of can prevent us from engaging other people at all. If you get to visit the city often, I wonder how many times you've heard the excuse that a person didn't give to a handler not because they didn't have the money, but because they were scared the homeless person would use the money for alcohol and drugs. Hold back and reach out. I see reserve or warm hospitality. <clears throat> the good news is you're not the first ones to have such questions. Religious leaders throughout history have struggled with how to balance hospitality with the demands of everyday living. I'm reminded of the story of the Good Shepherd in the Christian scriptures, and I want to share with you a modern updated version that I wish I could take credit for, but I have to give credit to my colleague, the Reverend Amy Shaw. It goes like this. A man from Alabama was robbed and beaten and left dying in a ditch. A priest walked by and was afraid that he might be drunk or dangerous and kept on walking. A lawyer walked by a few minutes later 
But he thought the second thing, and he also kept walking. But then an Iranian man, a Muslim from Samaria, came along. He stopped and he helped the man into his car and drove him to the hospital. Once there, he left money to pay the bill and his email address so they could give it to the hurt man and ask that they tell him to let him know he was okay. Now, when we talk about the Bible version, we usually focus on the Samaritan and the man left for dead. But I want to talk about the people who just passed by the situation. It is so tempting to believe that they were evil or morally deficient. I prefer to think that they were generally good people. People like you or me. People who were simply out and about their business and didn't want to get involved. Indeed, they might have thought they were risking death as well if they stopped to help the man. I wonder sometimes if they were thinking, I just don't have time to stop. Or what can I do? Or even, I don't know what to do. They might have even been polite to the man, at least in their own minds. Looking away from his supposed drunken debauchery and technically fulfilling the definition of hospitality to the letter, if not the spirit. But their inaction had a cost. A man nearly died because they did nothing. And for all they knew, he did perish. Now fortunately, most of our everyday encounters with hospitality don't have such a high cost in terms of human lives. They might have a cost in human experience. Failure be compassionate. Failure to recognize that hospitality is even needed. Failure to look up from our own lives and see the lives around us. Like the men who passed the stranger in Jesus' parable, it is easy to become so caught up in the minutia of our own existence that we fail to see the needs before us. The problem with dinner soap and dinner party and decorative soap hospitality is that it is very easy to be hospitable when we are inward focused. But it is also easy to turn it into a selfish sort of hospitality that misses the healing point of engaging with others. Know the out-of-town guests and dinner party sort of hospitality is not enough. We need to move beyond what is often referred to as radical hospitality. <clears throat> radical hospitality is still friendly and polite and brings people into our lives, but it is more than this. 
radical hospitality is that which we show to people who don't understand. It is generosity to strangers, reaching out when we have no idea who or what will reach back. Like the pigeons in the story this morning, we might be risking harm, but we do it not because we're scared, but because it's the right thing to do. Unitarian Universalist minister Marilyn J. Sewell defines radical as out of the ordinary and revolutionary. A radical sense of hospitality, then, is one that is not merely polite, but which has potential to shift worldviews and even the world. It is outward focus on the needs of others, not hospitality for the sake of making ourselves feel good. That doesn't mean radical hospitality isn't good for us. But the personal benefit is not the primary reason for hospitable action. Maybe you already engage in radical hospitality and didn't know it. But I suspect that, like me, you're good at it sometimes and you fail at others. We can get better, though, through practice. What exactly does it look like? And it doesn't have to be painful. In the late 1990s, white residents of the small town of Cascadero in Northern California harbored deep suspicions against the Mexican migrants who had found their way <coughs> to the town to work as farmers and day laborers. There was no welcome in Pescadero for the Mexican people who came to work. They were distrusted based on rumors and spoke little, if any, English. Even the appearance of a Mexican laborer with a new bicycle raised suspicions of theft in town, even when no bicycle had been reported stolen. There was little hospitality being shown. Enter a new face in Pescadero. Wendy Taylor had recently moved to the town to be an ESL teacher at the local school, the only one employed during her tenure despite the large number of Spanish speakers. Wendy was an outsider. She had no idea how deep the divisions between the white and migrant populations were. So she started flabbergasting people when she would stand in the town square and greet the migrant workers on their way to work. The migrants didn't know what to think of this Spanish-speaking white woman who was just standing there greeting them on their way to work. But soon they started to accept Wendy's act 
of simple hospitality. And as she got to know them more, she realized just how hard their lives were and why they felt it was so important to come to America, even at the risk of arrest and deportation. They were no longer strangers to her, but rather important friends in her life, and they began to trust her. What followed was years of healing of the deep-seated suspicions and misunderstandings on both sides of the divide. Wendy had been a United Church of Christ minister before she came to the town. And she had thought that God was insane for sending her to this town to be an ESL teacher after she finally found a church that accepted lesbian ministers. She found a new, unexpected ministry of radical hospitality. And though the migrant population had long since ceased to be strangers for Wendy, the simple acts of hospitality she started led to reconciliation between the white and migrant populations as they learned to grow together as one community and trust each other. Wendy's ministry to this town was not started with grand gestures or well-funded outreaches. She didn't create three committees and a business plan for saying hello. Started in a simple act of greeting migrant workers on their way to work. A recognition of their common humanity and a way to welcome them ever so briefly into her life. These simple acts were a genesis of a new way of being, of a town which had long since stopped trying to be hospitable. That simple act of radical hospitality is deeply ingrained in the living tradition of Unitarian Universalism. Consider the way we've embraced and welcomed differing theologies People of differing races, sexualities, gender identities and expressions, and disabilities. Because we all have inherent worth and dignity. We were among the first ordained women and LGBTQ folks. And today many of our congregations are considering offering sanctuary to those who would be affected by national policies that disregard such work. These are all revolutionary acts with the potential to shift the cultural landscape for the better. They're examples of radical hospitality in action. I want to challenge us reach out to communities being negatively impacted by laws and policy in this country, particularly right now, Muslims 
saw with Wendy's story, radical hospitality doesn't have to commit some grand world-shaping act to make a difference. Interfaith activist Ibu Patel suggests that one of the most powerful things you can do to build a relationship with someone from another community is engaged in some activity that has absolutely nothing to do with you or your identity. In his work with Muslim and Christian youth, Patel says that he recognized the value of simply forming relationships over work before talking about the differences in their faiths. <coughs> Don't just sit around and talk about your differences. We're good about that in Unitarian Universalism. Find something you can do together. Take on a service project. Host community meals together. Eventually, go to one another's services and events. And don't let fear of messing up hold you back from going on and going forward and moving beyond the superficial, the incredible. I recently found a TED Talk by a former member of Westboro Baptist Church, the infamous God Hates Fags Church. And as she talked about what led her out of that destructive phase, she talked about meeting a Jewish man on Twitter. And she was spouting her hateful theology to him, and, but ended her speech with a little smiley face in the time which took him aback. <laughs> they started talking and listening to each other. And she said the fact that he took her theology seriously put him in a better spot to point out the inconsistencies that eventually led her out and led her to find his wife. All of this is the work of radical hospitality when we open our hearts to not just allowing others into our lives, but bidding them to come in from the weary path that they've been traveling. What would our congregations look like if we became us for this sort of thing? What is the true expression of our saving message? the brokenness from our world one heart at a time. Radical hospitality in our congregations does make a difference. I close this morning with one more story. 
from Unitarian Universalist minister Michael Keenan. In 1994, in the midst of searching for a spiritual home, Kino found himself in a Unitarian Universalist congregation where 75% of the congregation were wearing a pink triangle pin, a reclaimed symbol of LGBTQ people from Nazi Germany. After he got over his initial shock of thinking he found a gay church network, Kino knew he was home. More than this, he found a place where he was not merely tolerated or accepted for being a gay man, but appreciated for it. <coughs> At a time when he was confronted with sexuality, the radical hospitality he found within Unitarian Universalism taught him that his identity would not be universally rejected within churches. Changed his life. And because a congregation is so willing to take such a risk in the early 90s of wearing a well known LGBT symbol and risking the discrimination itself, it led him into ministry. And because of that church's brave, brave sense, we have another great leader. Unitarian Universalism has altered the lives of countless individuals, both those who have stayed for life and those who are passing through on the journey. It has saved so many people, and I pray that we may continue to be a saving